I'm going to read from some different versions just because I want to get full amplification of some of these verses and especially words that are in the verses. And I'm starting at Acts chapter 3. I think you got prior notice that Acts 3 would be one of our key chapters. And at verse 19 from the New King James I'm reading, Repent therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Then I'm switching over to John chapter 3, and I'm reading from the Amplified Bible. And that's where you get a, a, uh, a piece of the scripture, and then if there's a word that needs amplification or explanation, it's right there for you. So here's how John 3.3 3 reads in the Amplified. Unless a person is born again, that is, reborn from above, spiritually transformed, he cannot ever see and experience the kingdom of God. Then I switch to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul is writing here in verse 17. And he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Coming back to the book of Acts, chapter 16 and verse 31 from the NIV. They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. You and your household. That great Acts 16 story. Then Titus chapter 3 verse 5 and I think this one you'll be able to see in front of you. It says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. And then I want to conclude with 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 11 and such were some of you but you are washed but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now, I said all that and I read those great verses for a simple reason. The Bible uses many different terms to describe the work of salvation. And that's what we do. We kind of, we kind of bring it all down to that one word, salvation. Words like born again, Words like believer, words like repent, or conversion, or regeneration, or new creation, or the one we read a moment ago, justification. And you hear those words, and you hear me saying them, and you ask the question, so how can we understand what all of these mean? Or what these all mean, uh, maybe would be a better way to put the question. Well, if you'll allow me, I'm going to use a common insect to portray what it means to be a new creature in Christ. I want to show you how only heavenly creatures go to heaven and the three steps to becoming that new creature. So my title today, it's in the form of a question to you, and I hope you'll accept it and receive it as such. Personal question from me to you. It's the title of our message and study this morning. Are you beautiful and ready to soar? Let's ask God's blessing on the message. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word today. And thank you for the precious promise we have that those who believe in Jesus Christ, those who accept Jesus Christ, those who live for him and are transformed by his power, are truly his. We thank you for that truth. And help us as we accentuate that truth this morning. 
Help us to believe every word of it and then to act on that belief. And we'll be careful to give you the praise for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The butterfly. The butterfly is the unique creature that God has given us to help us understand in a natural way, in a physical way, the new birth experience. Its metamorphosis from an ugly earthbound worm to a beautiful creature of magnificent color and flight pictures the change when one is born again. So it might be said that the butterfly could be used as a symbol of the new birth. And that's as far as you need to go with that. A very important fact about the butterfly. It has two distinct lives. In one stage, it is an earthbound worm. It can only crawl on the ground. It eats obnoxious things. It's ugly. And most of us wouldn't want to touch it because, well, most people would consider it detestable and they're repulsed even by the look of it. After its change, however, it becomes a creature of the air which can fly even above the trees. Its, perspe its perspective is no longer earthly. It can look down from, a, from an elevated perspective. Oh, it's ready now to soar. It has also become very beautiful. It's a creature of exquisite design and color. It becomes a flying marvel. Now it is a creature that creates awe and wonder. People want butterflies to land on them, and they even to get to see one is a very special treat. And some of you I know have gone places where you didn't see one, but you saw thousands of them in all their splendid color, and, and that array of, of, of light and color is unbelievable. Now, we're tempted to think that these two creatures I'm describing can't possibly be related. I mean, the same creature can't once have been the worm and then become the butterfly. Well, neither can a normal human become a heavenly saint. Stay with me. The reason why caterpillars morphing into flying machines doesn't impress us too much is because it happens every day. It's just too common to really grab our attention. Think of it like this. What if you're sitting here today, and this is the first time you've ever heard this story. You've never heard anything like this before. Imagine someone explaining, or imagine my... Uh, my own explanation to you that a slow-moving, tiny, fuzzy bug <laughs> crawled into a little sleeping bag and several days later emerged as an exotically painted flying flower. Hard to believe. I can hear you say, oh, don't give me that stuff. That required too massive a reorganization of its molecules to produce something like that. It couldn't possibly happen in it normally. And you know what? Most times, you'd be right. You'd be right to call me out on that. 
It might be compared to, let's say you had a like kind of a squatty looking little RV. And you're driving into a large garage, a really big garage. And then they wrap that thing up in a white tarp, completely covered, and then left alone. Untouched for several days, maybe a couple of weeks, I don't know. Then when the tarp is removed, you see that that clunky little squatty RV had somehow mysteriously been transformed into a sleek new Learjet. Let's watch this for just a moment. I think it'll explain something. So it is imperative, after you see this and have heard how I've introduced this, that we see and know and understand the key to this transformation that just took place. According to the Scientific American article entitled, How Does a Caterpillar Turn Into a Butterfly? The crucial change, I don't want you to miss this because I think we miss this, we've missed it all. The crucial change starts after it settles down into its death-like hibernation. And you saw it preparing to do that. You saw it in that form. You see, God causes it to release a chemical that turns its insides into mush. When that's done, there are no perceptible parts. All the old caterpillar organs are dissolved. I guess you could say its old DNA is destroyed and Somehow, please don't ask me how that works because, as you well know, I'm not God. Somehow, new DNA takes its place. From the old mush emerges a whole new creature. The brain, the internal parts, the head, the legs, the wings of a butterfly. It's an absolute miracle. It is an absolute miracle. Beautiful it is, and ready to soar. I want to say, my friends, that it's just such a change that must take place in you if you want to go to heaven. The old you must die and be replaced by the divine nature of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said this, and I quote, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. 
In the, not, the life I now live, in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul talked about Christ as the hope of glory. He said in Galatians 4.19, I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. He's talking to the Galatians here and explaining to them how they need to come to Christ. There's a book called Debrett's, D-E-B-R-E-T-T, Debrett's Peerage. You've not read it lately, and I haven't referred to it often, but it's the book that identifies every single person on the globe who has a blood connection to British royalty. It's sort of the who's who. It's sort of the who's who of royal connections. Now, if your name or your immediate family aren't listed there, then there are certain schools, certain clubs, certain social circles, certain things that will be forever closed to you. Don't even try. It just won't happen. Money alone or good connections won't be able to open the doors. Only, hear this, the right blood ties. That's right, the right <coughs> DNA. There's an assumption that certain people, by virtue of their birthright, are automatically entitled to exclusive privileges denied to other mere mortals, like you and like me. Imagine the consternation when Debrecht discovered this, and this is what they printed. I quote, one of our lords is missing. And this was a panic mode, I'm telling you. And what happened when that word got into the news and went around the world? People all over the world began to submit their claims. You can imagine. They said over 230,000 people claimed to be that one missing peer. Mm. Finally, the missing peer was located. He was a humble potato farmer who lived in Australia. His name was Pete. He owned a little business called Pete's Potatoes. And he told them he didn't have any interest and didn't want their peerage and didn't want the title and didn't need to be in the book. But he said, oh, one thing I might do. And they said, what's that? I might advertise and say my potatoes are fit for a king. <laughs> I thought that was kind of cute. Yep, the Brett's peerage. Beloved, there's another book. There's another book. Which records the names of all those who are connected to the greatest king the world has ever known. And this book I stand proudly before you today is to say is called The Lamb's Book of Life. And you can find it for yourself in your very own Bible in Revelation chapter 21, verse 27. You will never qualify to be in that book based on your money, your family tree, your church membership, your social background, your good behavior, your achievements, doesn't work that way. And I want to clear up another falsehood or two that I've heard over the years, just so that you're clear. When a person passes away, when a person dies, he or she does not become a butterfly. I know you're chuckling, but I've met people who really believe that. 
And that person does not become an angel. They don't, quote unquote, please hear me, and please drop this kind of talk. They don't get their wings. Nobody sprouts wings when they die. Nobody becomes an angel. And you don't become a star in the sky. Well, we'll just watch the star stars tonight. And if one twinkles, we know that's Grandma, or that's Grandpa, or that's Uncle Freddie. No. No. The only way you can be included is to be, the only way, there aren't two ways, ten ways, or your way and my way, there's only one way that you can be included, and that's to be made a child of God through the grace of God, put in action by your faith in Jesus Christ. You see, when Jesus comes into your heart, he changes your spiritual genetic structure to be like his. You are adopted into God's family at that point. That's right. And you then are one of his kids. I'm one of the king's kids. Amen? Amen. Alas, at that great white throne judgment that Revelation talks about, that book, the Lamb's Book of Life, will be the final word on who gets into heaven and who does not. Say, boy, I can't wait for that to find out. No, 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 no. You find out here before you ever get there. So be sure your name is in that book. If I really wanted you to hear this message, I'd have repeated that. So be sure your name is in that book. And you can know this very day. How? How about, how can I know? By being sure that you are born again. And you can make sure of that this very day, this hour. So, so Pastor, how can I do that? Peter outlines three steps after, once you've heard the good news of Jesus, that's the gospel. Peter is preaching salvation here in Acts chapter 3. And he says there's three steps to the new creature. So let's look at them. Step number one is to believe on Jesus. Most of you probably know John 3.16 by heart. It starts out, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I want to pick up a word there that we often just say it over. It's the word Believe. This means more than mentally agree with Christian doctrine, like mental assent, or agree that the Bible is true because the pastor said so, or believe even that Jesus did come to earth really as the God-man, and he came to save us. You can believe all of that and not make it. Now in James chapter 2, James is really teaching here, Let's hear what he says. Now, what use is it, my brothers, for a man to say he has faith if his actions do not correspond with it? Could that sort of faith save anyone's soul? So you believe that there is one God. That's fine. He says, so do all the devils in hell, and they shudder in terror. Can't you realize that faith without the right actions is dead and useless? 
In other words, James is saying belief without acting on that belief won't save you ever. Believe in the Greek language means trust in, cling to, rely on. It's not only mental agreement. In the Greek, to believe is not simply a cognitive function. It is an experiential function. To believe in, to believe in Jesus, let's say, as your Savior, means to trust in Him, to cling to Him, to rely on Him to save you. Suppose you're out hiking. Pray to God this never happens, but suppose you're out hiking and you fall off a cliff. And you land on a very narrow ledge down about 20 feet. And that's all there is, that narrow few inches between you and death. And you happen to look over your shoulder and there's a very big, strong, attached vine coming from somewhere. And it's right there, hanging, almost over your head. You see that you can reach up and hold on to that vine for security. I want to ask you, how would you hold on to that vine? Like in a nonchalant manner? Oh, oh, um, okay. Yeah, well, I know it's there. I, well, I'm busy right now thinking about how I'm going to die. But when I'm done that, uh, yeah, maybe I'll try it. It's a great idea. Oh no, oh no, you wouldn't. You would cling to it like your very life depended on it because it most likely would. You'd say, this is probably my only chance. This is my last shot at it. And that's exactly how God expects us to cling to Jesus for our life. We should let everything else go. Nothing should come between us. He must be supreme in our lives. There's so many verses that allude to that. I couldn't list them all. But I did bring a few with me. In, in, uh, in, in uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 10, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only you shall serve. In Exodus 20, in verse 3, You shall have no other gods before me. Jesus said that the greatest command, Matthew 22, he said the greatest command was, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Look, God demands that if we're going to serve Him, we must love Him supremely and let nothing come before Him in our lives. Should we hold on and cling to Him nonchalantly or casually or just when it's convenient? Absolutely not. We ought to cling to Him like our whole life and the next life too depend on it. Amen. It is this devotion that Jesus demands of us, friends. He says in Matthew 10, a lot of great scripture here today, verses 37 to 9, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Family is pretty important, isn't it? Our relationship to God is even more important. Remember this, I didn't say that, Jesus did. He also said, anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Wow. Wow. 
Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And that's what God means when he tells us to believe on Jesus. Now it's the second step Peter's talking about. Repent and turn. Or repent and turn could be put into one word, convert. The Bible tells us a few things about that. Just quickly, just thumbnail sketch. God, in the person of Jesus, is real and is going to judge the world. Before Jesus, we are sinners headed for a hopeless eternity. And thirdly, God has sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so that we can be forgiven and justified from all sin. Period. Over. Done. Completed. Finished. Amen. One of the problems with Christianity in the day we live uh, is that we made salvation too churchy. We've made it too organizational. We made it stand up, walk forward, do this, sign here, say one, two, three, four, five, six after me. There, way to go. You're in. Welcome. You might be in the church, but I'm not quite sure you're in heaven. Now these facts that I just stated should elicit a response, and it did because two of you responded. My text verse today, Acts 3, verse 19, says repent. I want to pick up some words here. This is how you said scripture. Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Wow. Repent. Repent and be converted. So let's look at these words. Well, what is repentance? It is a discovery of the evil of sin. It is a mourning over committing sin. Being sorry for your sin. Genuinely. It is a resolution to forsake it. It is, in fact, a change of mind of a very deep, practical character, which makes the man love what once he hated and hate what once he loved. Repentance. And be converted, that verse says. What is conversion? If you translate this word, it means a turning around. It means a turning from. And it means a turning to. You see, conversion isn't just walking along and all of a sudden realizing, whoops, I'm dead in my trespasses and sin, and I'm going to stop right there. That's just feeling sorry for what you've done, or maybe being, feeling sorry for the fact that you got caught. The fact that now you realize God knows. Well, the thing is, God knows anyway. But true repentance, turning. Repentance is to only go that far, 
and to, and to say, I have nothing more to do with that life, with those things, with that activity, with that behavior, with that mindset. I am now doing a complete about face. And I was walking that way, I'm now walking this way. My friend, that's repentance in the spiritual sense. That's repentance. It's a turning from and a turning to. A turning from sin and a turning to holiness. A turning from careless living and a turning to wise thought. A turning from the world and its system to heaven. A turning from the world to heaven and the eternal future. Oh. A turning from self and a turning to Jesus. See what it is? It is a complete and total turning. Hey, in Luke 15, when the prodigal son was found himself feeding swine, hmm, not a very good uh, occupation for a young Jewish boy. In Luke 15, all of a sudden, this stuff must have been running through the, over the screen of his life, over his mind, 24-7. All of a sudden, the Bible says he was considering all these things that were crashing in on him and bouncing off his head, and he came to himself. That's repentance. Then he set out, and he left the far country, and he went back to his father's house. That's conversion. You say, repentance, conversion, regeneration. What is regeneration? Thank you for asking. It's the implanting of a new nature. And it's one of the earliest signs of true repentance of sin. Here's what Peter was saying. People, change your minds. Be sorry for what you've done. Have remorse for the way you've lived, the things you've said, the way you've treated people. Forsake your old ways. Just get rid of that. Stop going that way. Turn around completely and become new men and women. And step three is what we call refreshing or the rebreathing of the Holy Spirit. The reason you're physically alive today and actually spiritually have an ability to react today is because God himself breathed into that body of clay that you carry around. Let me explain. Right there in our, our text, Acts 3.19, Peter says it again. So that times of, he said, repent, and convert so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Wow, what a great verse. What a great word. What is that Greek word, refreshing? What does it mean? Well, you know it's the word, anapsupsius. Of course you knew that. But here's something you didn't know. It literally means a recovery of breath 
And it's the only time it's found in the Bible, one time, right here, Acts 3.19. This is obviously similar to the renewing of the Holy Spirit that Paul talked about in Titus 3.5. Remember, God breathed into Adam. Remember that? Remember the making of Adam? You remember these famous words? That God breathed into Adam and he became a living soul. You see, our sins don't go unnoticed because our spirits are counted dead in sin and dead in trespasses before we come to Christ. And the fall or the sin of mankind kind of snuffed out the power of the living soul or if you want to call it the breath of God. It's necessary then that we renew that presence that God once again breathed into us the breath of new life. That's what many believe happened to the disciples. In John 20 and 22, they were asking Jesus questions. The disciples were getting kind of interested in things. And Jesus turned to them and said, and, and the Bible says Jesus breathed upon them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Look, spiritual birth is necessary for us to get into heaven. This is what Jesus alluded to when he referred to spiritual birth. He was meeting with Nicodemus at night under the cover of darkness. Nicodemus was a ruler of the Sanhedrin. And he came to Jesus with a lot of good questions. And Jesus told him in John chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, he said, Very truly I tell you, Nicodemus, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. And he says, Jesus says to Nicodemus, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Jesus is saying here that we need a second birth, a spiritual birth. Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once, and maybe not even once. Depending on when Jesus comes. What a great trade-off, amen? So we need a second birth to be born of the Holy Spirit. And as I quoted Titus 3.5 and Acts 3.19, they speak of the necessity of the Holy Spirit's part in our salvation. And if the Holy Spirit didn't have part in your salvation, you have every right to doubt whether you are saved. So you ask, how can I make this happen? How can I have this happen to me? And as Peter pointed out, it happens automatically when we believe, repent, and convert. And then that refreshing comes from the presence of the Lord. So my question is the same as when I started. Are you beautiful and ready to sober? Stories told about a bald man who's very bald. 
Bald men are good, amen? amen. Nice, nice. <laughs> He and his wife went out for an evening and were going to have a special dinner. I don't know what the occasion was. And the children were left at home with a, with a sitter. And that's all good. Uh, although the sitter got really interested in some TV program and neglected to really carefully watch the children. That happens sometimes. Even happens with parents. Unfortunately, the young man, uh, the young son got a hold of his father's electric shaver and, ooh, he shaved off a wide strip of hair right down the middle of the road. Mm. You can picture that. Mm. Yeah. When the parents arrived home, the father was, um, what word could I use here? Furious. That works. In no uncertain terms, he reminded that little son that he had been told, never, never, never do you touch that shaver. Just about to administer the Board of Education to the seat of learning, shall I say. When the son said, Daddy, wait till you see sister. Yeah, oops. He had shaved off all her hair. Now dad was, uh, what word do I use here? Really furious. And as he grabbed a hold of his son to give him the spanking of a lifetime, the son kind of stopped in his tracks. He looked up at his father and he said, But Daddy, we, were, we just wanted to look like you. I wonder... Do we really want to look like our Heavenly Father? Are you beautiful and ready to soar? Someone asked Trina Paulus this question. How does one become a butterfly? I mean, this is figuratively, of course. Here's what she responded. You must want to fly so much that you're willing to give up being a caterpillar. They said, you mean die? She said, yes and no. Your old life has to be surrendered and given up before you can receive the new life of Christ. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? I know it's a word we sh kind of sh we're scared of. We kind of run away from Seems like we've always associated the word surrender with defeat. But surrender to Jesus opens the door for you to victory. And so Pastor Bob only has one question left. Are you ready to surrender your all to Jesus. And if you are, and if you've never done that, and you've never taken that first step towards God, and you've never really said an eternal yes to His salvation, and you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, you know He's the Savior of the world, 
You know you saved a lot of people. But you've never taken them on as your personal Savior. I'm going to ask you to take the connect card that's in the seat front near you. Just put your name and just write the word salvation. And today's date. Leave it in the box at the door. Give it to me after service is over. Take it to someone back in the prayer space. Whatever. If you're here today and say, man, I'd like to know more. And today, I'd like to have somebody pray with me. And let's get this settled. And I want to know that when I walk out of here today, my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life and on the shore of heaven as if I'd already been there 10,000 years. You can know all that. By the grace of God, enacted by your faith in Jesus Christ. So, as I pray in just a minute, as music plays, you might want to slip out of your seat, or if you're standing, just slip out of the aisle where you are. Go to the prayer space in the back over here. There'll be prayer team members there, and they'd love to pray with you. They'd, like to, they'd love to lead you in your next step. Either a step to God, or maybe it's a step back to God. Or maybe it's just more information because you've never really heard the good news before. Whatever your position, whatever your need, my heart reaches out to yours today, and can I humbly ask you, don't put off, I've seen it happen, don't put off a decision for Jesus while the Holy Spirit is beckoning you. He's standing at your heart's door, and all he asks is admission. You open the door, and I will come in, he said. I wonder. Maybe you've played church. Maybe you've been in a dozen churches. Maybe you've been baptized six times. I don't know. Maybe you've never been baptized, and you know that's your next step. This is a day of spiritual decisions. Will you come and make your decision for him? As I said, there'll be prayer team members there and others who will be glad. And I'll be glad to talk to you when we dismiss. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It's so powerful. It's so clear. It's so life-changing. And we thank you for it. We thank you for the truth. We thank you that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father. No man comes into heaven but by me, but through me, but through faith in me. Oh, Lord, today, if there's one even, there may be more, there may be several. There may be one who's saying, well, if I made a decision like that, it'd be embarrassing because other people thought I was a Christian, or they thought I was saved, or I went to another church one time, or I come from a different religion, or whatever. And yet, God, that's not the heart issue. The heart issue is what needs to be settled today for eternity. So that every last one in this room can leave here today and say, just like the butterfly, I'm beautiful and I'm ready to soar. Holy Spirit, have your way in every heart. Convert, convict, save, and restore. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.